You can say what you want about Easter sunrise or midnight Christmas Eve, but I think this is the hardest Sunday of the year to get to church. I am generally looking for an extra hour on a Sunday morning, and I was especially feeling that today. So thank you for, for being here despite the, the earlier start. As we prepare to study and look into God's Word today, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your living word. Lord, we ask that the light of your truth and your grace would shine into our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would see your glory in our midst, that we would know the height and depth and breadth of your love for us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would move among us and through us this day, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be found holy and acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning by asking, who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus, John writes, was a man of the Pharisees. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was both a ruler and a teacher in Israel. Today, we might call somebody like Nicodemus a political academic. He was both a scholar and a professor, but also somebody who had a hand in governance. For the Pharisees, their field of study was God's commands. All of the laws found in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, known as the Torah, or the law. And the Pharisees were committed to following each and every one of those laws, all 613 of them, to the letter. Within Israel, the Pharisees were the keepers of tradition. If you needed to know how to do something the right way, how to do something God's way, you could go to them and they could tell you exactly how to do it right. They were held in high esteem in their communities. They were respected. They were trusted, even feared. So this man, Nicodemus, he's someone with power and influence. He's a public figure. He's an important person. And that being the case, it seems kind of strange that Nicodemus would go to Jesus at night, in the dark. Why would he do that? Well, most commentators think that Nicodemus timed his visit to Jesus after dark so that his peers, so that the other religious leaders and authorities there in town wouldn't see where Nicodemus was going or who he was going to meet with. You see, Jesus was popular among the people, but Jesus wasn't courting a lot of favor among those in charge. In just the second chapter of the Gospel of John, John describes how Jesus goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables. He chases out the currency exchangers. Jesus disrupts the normal flow of worship and the business of worship. And Jesus very quickly builds himself a reputation as a troublemaker, as a rebel, as an agitator. Well, that makes Jesus the kind of person that an upstanding, a proper, a 
pious and holy man like Nicodemus the Pharisee wouldn't want to be seen with. Apparently, though, Nicodemus had some doubts, some questions about Jesus. Nicodemus wanted to speak to him directly before he passed judgment. Preacher Mark Ellenson describes how the scene unfolds like this. It was late, almost bedtime, when the Jewish leader Nicodemus came to Jesus' residence. Into Jesus' presence came the Pharisee, one of the best-known Jewish professors in all of Israel and a member of the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. When Nicodemus finally reached Jesus, the short, ruddy-faced leader of the disciples, he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And for his part, Jesus ought to have been flattered. Here, the eminent Nicodemus was acknowledging that Jesus actually had something important to say. He'd actually come to visit Jesus, wanting to know more. Here, the great master Nicodemus was willing to sit at the lowly feet of Jesus. But Jesus then says something very strange. It's really a put-down of Nicodemus. Again, it's a strange move on Jesus' part because here he was, a common, ordinary, lower-middle-class preacher being honored by a visit from the respected and well-known Nicodemus. What Jesus did tell Nicodemus was that he did not really understand anything at all. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In short, Jesus was really saying, Nicodemus, unless you have been born again, you don't have the foggiest idea what I'm saying. You don't know anything. Nobody spoke that way to Nicodemus. And then, only adding to the absurdity, Jesus asks, Nicodemus, have you been born again? Nicodemus's head must have been spinning. This was not the reception. This was certainly not the conversation that he had expected to have with Jesus. And I suspect that many of us would feel the same way. If you had a chance to sit down with Jesus, what do you think he would ask you? I suspect we'd be more prepared for him to ask something like, so have you been good lately? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been going to church? Even on the Sunday when you lose an hour of sleep? But what if Jesus looked us in the eye and asked, have you been born again? Have you been born again? What does that even mean? For starters, born again is not a phrase that Jesus uses very often. In fact, among the four Gospels, born again appears only here, only in this passage of John. 
in the entire New Testament. This phrase, born again or born anew, as some translations have it, it appears in only one other verse, in 1 Peter 1.23, where Peter reminds the church that you have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Now, given that it only appears twice in the entire Bible, that phrase, born again, has come to evoke some remarkably strong reactions and images. For some, the words born again are a kind of religious label. It means a certain type of Christian. And not everyone views born again as a positive thing. There are many people outside the church who would say that a born-again Christian is just a synonym for a narrow-minded barbarian, someone who wields their faith like a club and the Bible like a baseball bat. Likewise, there are those inside the church who would claim that if you don't self-identify as a born-again Christian, If you can't name the day, the hour, even the minute of your second birth, well, you're really not a Christian at all. Yet for others, those two words, born again, marks a new beginning. They stand for the starting point of a new and a wonderful experience. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association says this, To be born again is to have the Holy Spirit transform our hearts from indifference and hostility toward God to a love of God and a desire for righteousness and holiness. What does it mean to be born again? Well, first, let's think about birth. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to turn this into a biology class. We're not going to go there. For our purposes today, it's enough to say that being born means passing from the relative darkness of the womb into the bright light of day. At birth, our world gets bigger. At birth, we meet our mother in whose womb we were knit together. At birth, we meet we begin to know and understand and love the ones who brought us into being. And it's only after our birth that we can grow to our full potential, that we can reach our full stature. And on this point, of course, Nicodemus is absolutely right. Physically, this can only happen once. But what Nicodemus struggled to understand is that Jesus isn't talking about a physical event, but rather a spiritual one. Just like we all must be born into this world, so too, Jesus says, we all need to experience this second spiritual birth. As babies, we enter the world in an amazing variety of circumstances. Some come into a lot, some come into very little. For some, the world is warm and welcoming. For others, it's harsh and demanding. 
But regardless of the different conditions we are born into, spiritually, spiritually, we are all coming into this world in the same situation. We are unfinished. We are lacking. We are missing something vital. Even Nicodemus needed this spiritual rebirth, and and so do we. Jesus says that we all need more work. Soul work. Spiritually, we're all coming from darkness. In the dark of that night, Jesus called Nicodemus, this well-versed, well-schooled, devoted child of God, to step into the light. Jesus called him to leave behind his dim, his limited understanding of who God was and what God wanted and enter into a new kind of relationship with the God who formed him, the God who set him apart, the God who was calling him to serve as a prophet to his nation. And Jesus, of course, being the master rabbi, presents this rebirth to Nicodemus in a way tailor-made for the old Pharisee. Jesus teaches him. Jesus uses a story from Israel's distant past as a way to illustrate this new life, this second birth that Nicodemus doesn't yet understand. And it's the story of Moses and the serpent on the pole. Now this story comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And you're not likely to find it in your children's Bible. It's not one of those stories. If we can bring up the screen, please. This story, these verses from Numbers 21, it happens when Israel is wandering in the wilderness on one of the many occasions where they become impatient, where they complain and they speak out against God and against Moses. Here's what happens. The people of Israel traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Just as God judges the people for their unfaithfulness, so God in His mercy also provides for His people a way to live instead of die. And even today, this story has produced a symbol that we're pretty familiar with. Go to the next slide. Anybody ever see one of those? Snake on a pole? What's it mean? Yeah, help. Health. Jesus uses this snapshot from Israel's past to foretell his own purpose and his own mission. 
that he will bring us from death to life. The snakes in the wilderness, like the snake in the garden, brought death. Likewise, the cross, an instrument of execution, will bring life. Just as through God's mercy and love, the snake lifted up on the tree is transformed, so too, through God's intervention in the world, in Jesus, the cross becomes a symbol of salvation. And as we fix our eyes upon the Son, upon Jesus, lifted up on the cross for our sake, we too are saved. And we too enter into a new life, a life that knows no end. Nicodemus, with all his learning and experience, all his influence and authority, came to Jesus in the dark. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus bathes Nicodemus in the light of God's love. See what God has done for you, he says. God wants not to condemn this world and you, but to save it. I have come, Jesus says, to bring you life. A life greater and larger than anything you've ever seen before. God wants you to be born again. And it's a birth that comes in Jesus. Through the washing away of the old life, in the waters of baptism, and by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as much as John shares with us in this passage, there are some big questions that John leaves unanswered. Like, how did Nicodemus leave Jesus that night? Was he born again, or was he still living in the dark? And maybe John doesn't tell us so that we might ask that question of ourselves. How about it? The good news is that by the grace of God present with us in Jesus, it is never too late. We are never too grown, never too settled, never too old, never too far gone to take the miraculous birth journey again. With Jesus, it's never too late to be brought back to life. So how about you? Are you born again? Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your great promise that you have come not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through you. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith, the gift of eyes to see Jesus for who he is, the lamb slain for us, the perfect sacrifice offered in our stead, the friend of sinners, the great physician. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who came to share your love with us and to call us unto himself, Lord, that we might know life, know life abundant, know life eternal. Lord, we ask that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, that we would be reborn, renewed, and restored. Lord, we thank you for the life that comes to us in you. In Jesus' name, amen.